Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host. This is the new college football show on Football by Football. Pretty fired up today to have a couple guests. Obviously, everyone out there knows Brady Quinn, FBF rider, former Notre Dame quarterback, and NFL quarterback. What's up, Brady? Not much. Excited for some more college football, man. I know. Can't wait. And another special guest, guy I'm Super excited to have on because we used to work together at BTN for the Big Ten Network there. Uh, Doug, Ch- Doug Chapman, excuse me. Doug was a running back in the NFL and originally played at Marshall. Uh, dude lives now down in South Florida. I'm very envious of that. Actually, I think Brady's down there as well, so kind of screw both okay. you guys. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Doug works at the American Sports Network and uh, is a studio host, and uh, he's all tuned in here on College Football Game, and we're, we're excited to have him in studio with us. Doug, what's going on? It's going well, man. He's living the dream, brother. Football <laughs> Exactly. All right, guys. Well, what we're going to do here first, just to kick things off, is do a quick review of the weekend before. Uh, you know, it was – it's kind of the down weekend in the college football scene, at least from my point of view, where – there, you know, some of the SEC teams are playing some real down down market teams, we'll put it that way, uh, some soft schedule areas. There's a little sort of interplay between some of the power conferences, but there's a lot of dogs, let's be honest. But in a week like that, I still think there was some seismic movement in college football, and I think that's kind of a good thing for some teams, maybe not so good for others. Auburn sort of jumped off me off the page to me as a team that, Brady, you and I were talking about this on our SEC show a few weeks ago. Uh, we, we were thinking these guys might be, uh, you know, maybe nipping at the heels of Alabama, potentially take back over that conference. And Alabama struggles, or excuse me, Auburn struggles with Jacksonville State and just ekes out a win there. Now everyone's kind of scratching their head trying to figure out what's going on. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on that Auburn game? Does it sort of change your feelings on what we were talking about a few weeks ago, or is it just, you know, maybe a, a big-time program overlooking a small one? Um, it could be that, right? I mean, I think the, na- the name for that's a trap game. I think Louisville um, is a better team than people realize. I know they're an ACC team, and people don't like to give the ACC a lot of credit. But, uh, you know, I still think that was a tougher opponent uh, than a lot of people gave Auburn for that victory. But you go back okay. to Jacksonville State, it could be a trap game. I mean, th- this happens all the time, uh, in particular in the SEC, when they have some of these off-week opponents. My biggest concern right now is with Jeremy Johnson, at quarterback, there was so much hype around him coming out of the spring and training camp with how he practiced and how he performed, and you're just not seeing it translate onto the field. He's got three touchdown passes to five interceptions right now, and the most alarming part of that is their best wide receiver, Duke Williams, he's only got five receptions in two games. So think about that. I mean, he needs to start looking to Duke Williams more often 
the guy is week in and week out one of the best wide receivers in the SEC. And then I think on the defensive side of the football, they just lost Holsey at cornerback. That's not going to help. But you've still got some talented players. I just think it might be taking them longer than they thought uh, to adapt to Will Muschamp as defensive coordinator down there. Uh, but right now, I mean, look, they got a big matchup this week. I think Auburn's got to find a way uh, to get Jeremy Johnson to play at a higher level, whether that's simplifying the scheme uh, or just or just basically telling him to throw to Duke Williams or run. Uh, because Jeremy Johnson's an athletic guy, and I think he's very capable of that. But, I mean, look, they got to go down to Baton Rouge and Tiger Stadium and try to get a win versus LSU. I don't know. Maybe tough. Uh, Doug, what do you think? i tell you, you know, looking at Auburn this year, and it, it, it just shows you how important uh, Nick Marshall was to that offense. And yeah. if you look at college football, when you have a team like Auburn, Gus Malzahn, it's not the traditional. When you, when you usually hear people say system offense, if you think of spread, get the ball out quick, uh, Texas A&M style of Kevin Summons system. Gus Malzahn has a system. It doesn't look different. Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech has a system. Just not the word system you think about. And in that system, Marshall was a perfect fit. Then you insert Johnson, who is a different body type of guy. Uh, he's a guy, honestly, has an amazing arm whenever he's accurate. He's, a ton of, he's thrown about five picks in the first two games. But when he's on, I mean, he's got one, probably one of the strongest arms in college football. But I don't know if he's a good fit for the system that Gus Malzahn has been running there. You know, Nick Marshall was a guy that could get on the perimeter, and they'd have to bring that extra safety down in the box. So then when they do decide to throw the ball, you got guys like Duke, Duke out there on the perimeter playing against single high safety. It makes it a lot easier. Brady, you know this. It's a lot easier to throw the ball with one safety sitting back there than it is with two. And so the thing yep. is, I think that the threat of Marshall not being there at quarterback and, 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 and not being able to be as efficient running the ball from the quarterback position, I think that's what's uh, hurt them a lot on offense. The offensive line is still strong, but I think that breaking in that new quarterback and that's the toughest thing in college football. When you lose a guy who's been productive, who's been functioning in a system, who is very comfortable in a system, and you get a new guy, and no matter how talented he is, a couple games to get that going. So I don't think – I think people are giving Auburn a little bit too many uh, too many props than, than they actually are, than they, than they actually deserve. I mean, I think they're a solid football team. I don't think they're a great football team, but – you know, we're going to find out this weekend against LSU. Right. You learn things on, on the on the turn weekend here of week three, and I think that's a good thing. There's some exciting games on the docket this week. Uh, one of those other sort of storylines that I didn't expect to be talking about this week was the Penn State offense. And, and this is something I'll, I'll turn back to you, Doug, because I know two years ago when we were working together at BTN, there was a lot of buzz about this Christian Hackenberg I probably was a contributor to that buzz. I really liked what I saw there when he was playing in Billy O'Brien's offense. Penn State lost to Temple uh, two weeks ago uh, and has stumbled since, at least offensively. I'm actually working a Temple game this week, and and I, Penn State's a team that has actually played UMass, the team that I'm doing a game for, and UMass is claiming that Temple uh, is one of the most talented teams they've seen, meaning more talent than Penn State, which is shocking for people that live in that Western PA area that are around Philadelphia. Uh, and teams like Temple are starting to get some players, starting to turn things around, and all of a sudden the the blue chips – like Christian Hackenberg might not be what we thought. Any thoughts there on what's going on with James Franklin's uh, dudes there in uh, at Penn State? 
honestly, I, I still, and I said this on Big Ten Network two years ago, I said it again last season, I was just getting bashed in studio, getting bashed on Twitter. <laughs> I think that Christian Hackenberg is the best quarterback in the Big Ten. I think he could has the ability to be the first over, overall draft in the upcoming NFL draft. Now, with that being said, I don't think we're ever going to see how good Christian Hackenberg actually can be until he gets to the next level. And what I mean by that is that when he got to Penn State his first year, he had a really solid freshman year. He didn't put up crazy numbers, but you had to look at what Penn State was dealing with, with the sanctions, the -the off-the-field stuff. He could have transferred stays through. Franklin inherits him. Now, Franklin knows the kid has a ton of talent, but if you look at the systems that that James Franklin ran at Vanderbilt, he didn't have a drop-back pocket passer like a Christian Hackenberg. Not saying he doesn't know how to coach the guy up. It's just that he has to tinker and cater his offense to work around a guy with Hackenberg's skill set. But if you break down Christian Hackenberg, the football player, I think still he has as much arm talent, if not more, than anybody in college football. I just think that everything around him, he's had a very thin, weak offensive line, hasn't had a lot of playmakers, especially behind him, to help support him in a running game. The defensive line has been solid, but offensively they've been very offensive. They've struggled on offense since he's gotten there. And I think that – the one thing I do like about him is his mechanics haven't gone out the window. He's still there. He's still sound and has is fundamentally um, hasn't broken down there. But overall, I just think everything around him is the reason why we haven't seen how good Christian Hackenberg can be. And uh, I'm I'm actually doing a Buffalo at FAU game this week. Buffalo just played Penn State, you know, and we got a conference call right. with their coach Lance Leopold about three or four hours ago, and he was, you know. He was raving about the talent that Christian Hackenberg and in so many ways, in a nice way, just saying maybe the pieces around him aren't there. That's why we're not able to see uh, the three and 400 consistent uh, passing yards per game from a guy with that type of talent because we're going to see how good he is on Sundays. I don't think we're going to see how good he is for the rest of his Saturdays at Penn State. Hey, Doug, you know my only concern with that is, is, you know, you kind of have to adapt and survive. And I feel like you hit on a great point. You know, the offensive line for Penn State's been awful. I mean, I watched Paris Palmer on one snap, their left tackle, literally at the snap of the ball, kicked with one step to the left to try to get his hands out on the end. And that was like all the effort he gave. And and then the end had a free shot at Hackenberg. And he was sacked within maybe a second and a half of the ball being snapped. And obviously that's not what you're looking for. And I think that's a big problem with what Hackenberg's having to deal with. or has even dealt with the past two years, but – you know, to me, at some point, too, if let's say he does get drafted really high, yeah, you know, because he does have the, the tangible skill set. He's got a strong arm. He's got a great motion. I think he does have a good football IQ. Um, it just comes down to the fact that he's going to have to move his feet. He's probably going to be drafted to a bad team with a bad O-line. I mean, look at Jameis Winston, his first start. My biggest concern for him was could he move his feet and still make an accurate throw and he's going to have to deal with that all year long, as, we, as, we, as we've seen in his you know, first week as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Hackenberg's going to have to deal with the same exact thing if he gets drafted to any one of those top teams. Now, I agree, but, you know, once again, you know, James Franklin goes there and inherits, you know, when these coaches go in, they, in, they want to implement their system. And sometimes the guys that they inherit, that they didn't go out and recruit, that happen to be there, may not be a perfect fit in their system. And sometimes – now you've seen it with Charlie Strong in Texas. Sometimes you got to demote a guy. You know, you, James Franklin's. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to make some changes in your in your coaching staff and demote an OC or either take or take playing call play calling away duties from a certain guy. But I, I, you know, I really feel 
for Christian Hackenberg is overall I think he's a good kid. I give him props. He stuck it out there in Penn State. He didn't transfer when the sanctions hit. Didn't transfer when O'Brien left. He stuck it out. He kept, stayed through with his commitment when the whole deal was going down out of high school. So I think uh, you know, overall I like the guy. And as a football player, I love the kid. I just hate to see that we're not able to see his full potential at the collegiate level. And like I said, I, I really have faith that this when this guy goes to the next level, we'll actually see the, the Christian Hackenberg everyone's been waiting to see. Let's pause for a second here, Doug and Brady, and talk a little bit about our sponsor, FanDuel. Uh, obviously, the football season is well underway, both college and pro. ton of exciting games out there, so why not get in on the action? FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. The money's real. They're paying out over $75 bucks a week this football season. Why we love FanDuel, it's because just building that team is easy. This is not complicated. You just pick your players, you stay under the salary cap, and sit back on Sunday and watch your team win. Entry fees are just a dollar, so anyone can handle this. Anyone can play. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use our code FBF and sign up now. Special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel's going to match up to 200 bucks that gets earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. Offer's only good for the first 50 people that use my code FBF, so don't forget to use my code. I say this every week. Don't forget to use my code. Use that FBF code. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. So I'm going to transition here, guys, into a, 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 an area I like to – I hope that happens each year. It doesn't always happen, but we had some of those exciting early season college head-scratcher games. And it happened in the MAC, a, a conference that I do a decent amount of work in. And it some of the recipients in these things are, are some big conferences. And I think it's, it's a little bit scary, and it kind of makes you reconfigure what – what in the world's going on? I think the SEC got hit a little bit here with we mentioned sort of the struggles that Jacksonville State gave Auburn, but Toledo goes in and, and beats an Arkansas team. Bowling Green goes in and just blows up Maryland. I mean, really, really puts it to Maryland. Doesn't really look competitive. And Bowling Green is a competitive team in the MAC. It's a team that's that's often at the top. Uh, Eastern Michigan beats Wyoming. I can't really count that. But <laughs> the point was we had a week in which some of these teams that are, are good in lesser conferences really put it to some teams that are in those conferences that have been chess beaters for a long time. So uh, I'm curious with your guys, uh, sort of perception, I think the SEC is obviously where I'm angling this. With some of these lesser teams beating up on them, is it really that idea that, you know, maybe they just got overlooked? Or in the situation down in Arkansas, it's not being turned around as as I think we thought it would when the coach came back down from, from Wisconsin. Are there actual issues there? And, and maybe there's some transition going on there as well. Matt, you know, you, honestly, I think, you know, I can kind of can kind of speak from that because I went to what they like to call a mid-major. I went to Marshall. Right. And, you know, we would go out and play a Clemson and we beat them. We play a BYU or a Louisville or South Carolina. We go to their place and we beat them. So I remember the, the, the reaction of the nation or the reaction of, you know, when we're walking off the field after playing an Ole Miss our first year in, at the FBS level and taking them to the wire and putting up 500 yards of offense on them and, you know, walk, those guys walking up to us and looking at us and, and saying, wow, you know, these kids can actually play. Now, that, that was me on the player side of it. Now, as an analyst, the other side, I, I call it parody because when I was growing up, I'm in my 30s, there were maybe five or six 
maybe seven power programs nationwide. Brady, you went to one of them that got all the good players when I was a kid. All the good kids nationwide went to Nebraska, Notre Dame, Michigan, Penn State, Florida State. No matter where you're from, their hand reached out and got everybody. Now schools can't get everybody. You look at a, a Jacksonville State, they may have two or three guys that for some reason slip through the cracks that may – let's think about it. I live in South Florida. There's Florida State, Florida, Miami. Those are the three big dogs, okay? It, let's say they take the top three linebackers. I'll take the fourth best linebacker out of the state of Florida, and I'll take him and put him in a, on, a, on a Central Florida or put him on a South Florida football team or an FAU, and then when he matches up against the bigger programs, the guy was like a superstar. There's so many players, I think, that the big schools can't get all of. It's impossible to get all the kids now. And so I think you're seeing a little more parity. So, you know, yeah, it also plays in what sometimes these schools aren't mentally preparing themselves for the team they're about to face. But I just think sometimes at these mid-major schools or these non-AQ schools, there's players that have slipped through the cracks because not the bigger schools, they can't get every last kid anymore. Yeah, I think on that point, too, there's some good coaching, too, in some of these mid-majors. I think a lot of times guys – uh, you know, they think that just because they're going to a Mac level school, their coaching is any less or, or maybe not as good as uh, some of your more premier programs. Um, you know, and there's not necessarily one in particular that I'm going to pick out. Uh, but I think when you look at the overall landscape of, of college football, I think it's there's just there's more uh, parity because of that reason that you touched on there, Doug, whether it's off the field issues or academic issues where guys can't necessarily uh, make those certain teams. You know, I know Notre Dame, um, they've definitely lowered some of their academic uh, requirements, but th- there's still a th- certain threshold players have to meet. And if they can't make it, they, go, they end up having to go somewhere else. But, you know, there's plenty of other schools that are like that. But, you know, to that point, too, there's still good quality coaches who want to continue to try to build their resume. And they'll go, they'd love to go take a, a head coaching job in the MAC or one of the schools and try to get, you know, a good start there and then try to, you know, use that as a catapult into a, a bigger Division One program. I mean, hell, look at it. Frank Solich is at Ohio U, you know, and they yeah. get beat. They, they, you know, Marshall goes into their place, their little stadium last week, and gets beat. You know, Frank Solich is a hell of a coach. You know, some, and yep. there's these schools out here in the Mid-American Conference that have really, really good coaches. It's just, you know, sometimes these 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 bigger schools, you know, they, they don't really have to pay attention to those schools until they're on their schedule until they're down by seven in the fourth quarter to one of them. Yeah, and UTSA, they got Larry Coker. You know, he's kind of on the sunset yeah. there, but – you know, that's yeah. a program that, that's really given some people some scares lately. Uh, solid defense, and obviously their offense has really come around this year. You'll see it here in a few weeks, Brady. UMass has Notre Dame on the schedule. Obviously, uh, that'd just be a game that Notre Dame wins. But Mark Whipple's uh, old mentor to Ben Roethlisberger years and years ago. And the one thing he can do is put up points. If for some reason you fall asleep, they'll, they'll put up 600 yards. They might allow 900, <laughs> but, but there are those kind of places where they can coach something, you know, they can, they can take what they've got and, and absolutely squeeze water out of that stone. So I'm going to close the door sort of on last week with just a couple final comments here, obviously with Michigan state uh, moving past Oregon, that was a big, a uh, big hurdle for them, especially after the loss out there in Eugene a year ago, I think uh, in Big Ten circles, that sort of legitimizes that this is not just a one-horse race. You cannot sleep on this on Sparty. They'll be there, and I think that's exciting. So we don't just have to talk about, you know, Cardell and, and Ezekiel and all that stuff going on in Ohio State, the all-star team they've got. There will be a challenge, and I think that's good for college football as a whole. 
the the last point here, and I, I this thing I kind of this kind of shocking to me. When we start to we start to look to this week, and Brady, I'll, I'll send this to you. you. You look at Notre Dame, and I think Notre Dame is is it's not just a fad pick. I think it's there's reasonable expectation that they'll, they'll sit on the fringe of this playoff, and they they have a, a decent enough path where they can get through. They have a challenging game this week in Georgia Tech, but with the transition at quarterback, does that change things? Although they you know, looked pretty good in the fourth quarter of a week ago, but is yeah. Notre Dame still on the cusp, or is that too significant of a move uh, for them to be reasonably expected to be there when we get to December? Well, I mean, Vegas thinks uh, they're on the outside looking in. I mean, look, they're playing at home and they're an underdog in this matchup versus Georgia Tech, who's ranked behind them. You know, I think the ranking is kind, uh, given the loss they had not only at the quarterback position, but they also lost Durham Smythe, their tight end, uh, for yes. the year as well, and he was another kid who was really on the rise. And Notre Dame, so yeah, I, I think it'll be tough. I mean, look, Malik Zaire didn't have a huge sample size of, as far as playing, but he did get a ton of the reps in the spring in training camp. Uh, obviously, as a starter in training camp and in a quarterback competition with Everett Golson in, in the spring, so he got the majority of the practice and the reps, and you could see him continue to progress and then continue to kind of take over this team and be that leader. You know, Kaiser made uh, a great play at the end of the game. And obviously, it takes a lot uh, to be able to come in and do that, but he just doesn't have the experience, and I think he's not the same type of runner either uh, right. in, in that scheme for, for Notre Dame. And that's where I feel like uh, Notre Dame's not the same team. I don't necessarily know that they're quite as talented, and I think that the inexperience of uh, Deshaun Kaiser will eventually uh, catch up at some point, which is unfortunate because this team really is built to be a college football playoff team if they were just able to stay healthy, and hopefully they could stay away from the injury bug the rest of the season. Put on your guys. Put on your your 1988 glasses. Maybe maybe a pair of 1992s, and think on this for just a second. Uh, coming up this week, think of all the big games that are out there. We just mentioned Notre Dame, Georgia Tech. There's a big SEC game going on with Alabama and Ole Miss. And again, that's a little unusual in that Ole Miss is is in the, in the conversation of some of the top teams in college football. But Miami and Nebraska are playing one another on ESPN two. Uh, a game that's relatively outside the purview of of sort of the bigs in college football. How bizarre is that? And is there movement to head back into to sort of uh, back into the conversation if either of those two has a, a, a an impressive performance? I think, well, you know, I grew up watching those games as a kid. I was a huge Nebraska fan. I, I love Tommy Frazier. And, I mean, I think every kid that grew up in the South was familiarized with the U and the two live crew. And I mean, everything. I mean, I, I loved watching those games back in the day. But I think the reason you know, that, that they've lost a little bit of steam is because neither team has really been able to reign supreme within their own conference. So when they play each other, you've got a team who's, you know, not struggling, but just trying to find their way and establish themselves within their own conference. So I think a little steam has gone off the rivalry. But I think if, you know, if you're a guy who's a, who's a sports historian and you, you've watched these games, like you said, for the late 80s and 90s, and you – really respected what these games used to be that, you know, you sit down and watch two teams with a lot of history. I know in tradition, I know, you know they tore the orange bowl down, down here in South in, in Miami. So they're playing, you know, their games at the NFL stadium. That takes a little bit of yeah. steam off of it, you know, yeah. and, but, but it's, and, you know, my, you know, Miami, you know, let FAU hang around with them uh, a couple of uh, last week. So they're not the, they're not the, the teams they once were, but the history and the tradition is there. I'm, I will still watch those games because I remember what they used to be. You know, I, I'm a little bit sad to see what both those programs have become lately, and I think it's because 
uh, they've lost their identity. And with, with the changing of times in college football, uh, Nebraska obviously back during the days of, of Tommy Frazier and all that, you know, used to run a little bit more option, et cetera. I'd really pound the football. Uh, it just doesn't last anymore uh, really in college football. I think everyone's adapted to the spread. Um, they went through those Callahan years where they tried to get there, but then they just didn't feel right. And unfortunately, you know, I think the fan base there uh, wants to – back in Lincoln wants to see, you know, those old days of Nebraska being that great tough style defense up front and then having those, you know, unbelievable running backs like a Lawrence Phillips. But that's just not – that's not college football anymore. Uh, the landscape has changed. It's too uh, hard you know, running that style and system to compete with a team that's going to put up, you know, 60, 70 points nowadays. Uh, like you see throughout, uh, whether it's the Pac-12, Big 12, uh, you know, not the, obviously not the SEC, um, they haven't really had to adapt to that point. But it's eventually getting there. I mean, every team you see is kind of implementing some sort of, you know, part of the spread. And it, I'll be curious to see, um, you know, how much change occurs this year. I mean, because this is a big game for Miami. They're 2-0 and right now. But, uh, you know, when you look at their schedule and you look at the string of games they've got to play, uh, it, you know, you could see Al Golden on the hot seat. I mean, it doesn't seem like that's the case right now. People are pretty upset that FAU was kind of able to hang in a little bit in the first half last week. So uh, we'll have to wait and see kind of how the season plays out for Miami, but they could be looking at change again. And, and uh, you know, really, I just hope they find someone that they can stick with for some sort of period of time that can kind of bring back that culture, bring back that hype and the excitement you used to see about Miami football. And I said Al Golden's seat is definitely hot now. we got an exciting week here in uh in college football the big 10 is doing the acc matchup thing a little unusual something we're very used to seeing in basketball but that's sort of the inter squad or excuse me the interconference thing they're doing this season should be an exciting week that way a couple other big games i want to hit on here as we close out uh brady you're actually working one of them the UCLA-BYU game, BYU has kind of sort of risen from the ashes, has been an adjutant, has been a team that's right there. Uh, UCLA has, has looked uh, surprisingly proficient on offense. Uh, what, what's sort of your feel going into that game? You know, it's, it's pretty interesting when you look at this matchup. you got two freshman quarterbacks, right, but one's 18 and one's 22 uh, due to, <laughs> due to uh, you know, the, the religion there uh, out, out there in BYU. So, obviously, uh, Tanner Magnum took his, took his mission, and now he's – now he's the starting quarterback after the, the, the horrible injury to Taysom Hill, who, uh, you know, really, you can't say enough about how good that kid was for uh, BYU and how, how good he could have been for the season. But, you know, so far, look, they're hanging tough. Uh, they got two wins, one versus Nebraska, a Hail Mary, and even Boise State, uh, a lot of, again, heroics there at the end of the game to end up giving yeah. them the win. So I think they've got the opportunity to knock off UCLA. My biggest concern is up front. When you look at the defensive line, for UCLA in particular, Kenny Clark, a defensive tackle, and then Deion Hollins is kind of that outside linebacker rush end. Uh, I don't think BYU is going to be able to contain them. And I think the overall talent on UCLA, when you talk about their wide receiver core, Paul Perkins at running back, and they're really the defensive backs, I, I think it's too tough of a matchup for BYU to overcome. And Josh Rosen has played outstanding. He struggled a bit last week versus UNLV, in particular completing any balls downfield. Uh, but he was lights out at home, and I think – uh, you know, coming back home under the lights versus BYU, I expect them to have a pretty good game. So, Doug, I'm going to send this to you just as sort of a, a closing thought. I know it's never too early to talk Heisman. I know that seems a little bizarre that in week three we're already there, but a bit of a, a marquee matchup getting to see USC and Stanford. Now Stanford puts a stink bomb out there uh, against North, Northwestern on opening weekend. 
Uh, but I think people still consider them a tough weekend, week out matchup because of how they game plan and how the, the style of play that they have. Uh, does Cody Kessler now having sort of a, a, a primetime game here this weekend get to sort of uh, make an early statement uh, or are any of those, those sort of collection of running backs still in that conversation? No, there's definitely, you know, a collection of running backs in there. But, you know, if you're the quarterback at USC and you guys are winning, uh, you guys are going to be in the spotlight. And, and right. Cody Kessler was a guy getting a lot of buzz last year, um, and rightfully so because he was putting up uh, good numbers. And then this is supposed to be the year that Sark gets everything going down there and, and, and USC is supposed to be back on the upswing. You know, I tell you, the Heisman Trophy loves quarterbacks. It's a, it, it, it loves quarterbacks now. And the thing is, is that if you're a quarterback on a team, I believe they're, what, six in the nation right now, the number ranked number six. They're a top 10 team. If he goes out and puts up huge numbers in big games when he's supposed to, yeah, the team, he's, they may be playing a Stanford team that may be down, but, that, but they want to see him go out and beat, a, beat the Stanford team the way he's supposed to. They want to see the 295, 300 yards, no interceptions, two or three touchdowns. They want to see that. You know? And then they want to see down the road when he's at Notre Dame. He's got the schedule uh, to keep his name in the mix. But, you know, you, you asked about running backs. And, you know, right now – you know, Nick Chubb's got to be up there. Uh, right. Derrick Henry's got to be up there. Dalvin Cook absolutely has to be up there because, uh, you know, he, he's, he's carried that Florida State team at times. If it wasn't for him, you know, they may have a, lo- a, a L in one of their columns while they're getting uh, Everett Golson up and running. And then I tell you, we talk about a guy that used to be a quarterback is Braxton Miller. You got to have those wow moments sometimes to, uh, to, to, to win the Heisman. He's not even the starting quarterback. They move him to a flanker. They line him up and takes little sweeps out of the backfield, but he's the type of guy that's going to make plays, big splash, wild plays on the big stage, and they're already number one, so all eyes will be on him. But, you know, I really see those guys right now, Chubb, Henry, Kessler, uh, Miller, and Dalvin Cook as the main guys that have the spotlight on them. Well, nobody knows this better than Brady himself, uh, finishing third in the Heisman Trophy competition years and years ago. Troy Smith with Ohio State winning gets the deal. Darren McFadden finishes second. Darren's now sort of trying to revive his career down with the Cowboys. And for fantasy football owners, are they going to use him or not? But uh, anything, any thoughts there? I guess, uh, Brady, I'll, we'll sort of finish with this sort of Heisman parting shot, but Ezekiel Elliott is Elliott is also a name I think will continue to get some steam as he has wow moments, much like Braxton Miller there. Uh, does Ezekiel have a chance, or does 2014 a year ago with Melvin Gordon putting up, you know, video game numbers upon video game numbers and still falling short? Is the running back argument something that we just do in September and October, and knowing that by the time we get to the end of the year they'll they'll fall away? No, I think what happens is it all depends on where those teams are coming into the college football playoff. I mean, look, okay. if Ohio State is in the mix and Ezekiel Elliott is clearly by far and away the best player carrying that team, I think he ends up being one of the front runners for the Heisman. I mean, look, when Troy Smith won it that year, they're undefeated. But statistically speaking, he wasn't any better than me or not even close or really anyone else. But what he was was on an undefeated team. And when, you, when it came down to it, he was the best player on that undefeated team. And that's usually who the Heisman Trophy goes to. It's only in those years when you end up kind of having a bunch of one-loss teams or, you know, one- and two-loss teams, then you kind of all of a sudden start looking at, all right, well, who statistically has the best year? Who's really the, means the most to their team? Uh, but in this case, I think if you look at 
uh, the teams running up to the college football playoff. It very well could be Ezekiel Elliott. It could be Derrick Henry for Alabama. As far as as much as they're running the football, uh, he could be another guy that could you know possibly be in the mix uh, if Alabama ends up entering the college football playoff undefeated. Well, I love that we didn't mention Trayvon Boykin. I'm sure those people down, those folks down in Texas, <laughs> don't like that. Well, I, but... don't, I don't. I don't think he'll make it through the year. Help. Well, that, that's and that's a decent point. The style of play there is a big part of it. He's game on his shoulders, and he's taking hits. You know, the problem is with, with them, you know, one, they've got to play Baylor at the end of the year. And they'll most likely de- determine who the Big 12 champion is. Oklahoma looks like they could be in contention right now. Uh, but my biggest concern is all the injuries their defense has had. I mean, I, I just yeah. did their game last week. They were already missing six of their uh, seven top tacklers from last year. They just lost their weak safety, uh, Iloka to an injury as well and it's like they're already missing so many guys so many true freshmen starting I don't know if their defense is going to be able to hold up all right well fair enough guys uh that's all we've got for this week want to thank you Doug and Brady for coming on awesome stuff as always great insight take care and enjoy your weekend see you guys absolutely you too man thanks we'll see you thanks so much for listening to the football by football podcast as always the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from guys like Rock, myself, make sure you check out footballbyfootball.com. Check out our Facebook page, and also give us a follow on Twitter at FBBYF. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Night, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Bye. Good night, Ned.